So here again, these words from songwriter Annie Lennox. The world was meant for you and me to figure out our destiny, a thousand beautiful things, to live, to die, to breathe, to sleep, to try to make your life complete, a thousand beautiful things. And then here again, these words from the poet Rilke. Just give me a little more time. I want to love the things as no one has thought to love them until they're worthy of you and real. Hold those two pieces as you listen to this story from Eve Ensler. This story comes from Eve Ensler's memoir, In the Body of the World, a memoir of cancer and connection. Eve Ensler, Ensler, as many of you know, is the author of the Vagina Monologues, and she is a fierce fighter for women around the world, particularly women impacted by sexual violence, and especially the sexual violence of war. In her memoir, she describes being at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, receiving chemotherapy for a cancer that is ravaging her body. It's not clear if she will survive. Lying in bed, she notices a tree outside her window. She writes, and this is a long excerpt from this book. She writes, I was too weak to think or write or call or even watch a movie. All I could do was stare at the tree, which was the only thing in my view. At first, it annoyed me, and I thought I would go mad from boredom. But after the first days and many hours, I began to see the tree. On Tuesday, I meditated on bark. On Friday, the green leaves shimmering in late afternoon light. For hours, I lost myself, my body, my being, dissolving into tree. She continues, I was raised in America. All value lies in the future, in the dream, in production. There is no present tense. There is no value in what is, only in what might be made or exploited from what already exists. She says, of course, the same was true for me. I had no inherent value without work or effort, without making myself into something significant, without proving my worth. I had no right or reason to be here. Life itself was inconsequential unless it led to something, unless the tree would be wood, would be house, would be table. What value was there to tree? So to actually lie in my hospital bed and see tree, enter the tree, find the green life inherent in tree, this was the awakening. She continues, every morning I opened my eyes, I could not wait to focus on tree. I would let the tree take me. Each day it was different based on the light or wind or rain. The tree was a tonic and a cure, a guru and a teacher. This tree outside my room brought back other trees, trees I had seen without seeing, had loved without loving. The weeping willow at the bottom of my driveway in Scarsdale, madly shedding leaves in the fall, making this shimmering bed of soft white lime leaves. 
The majestic pine trees in Croatia by the sea filled with vociferous cicadas in late summer. There was the tree, my tree. Not that I owned it, I had no desire for that, but it had come to be my friend, my point of connection and meditation, my new reason to live. I was not writing or producing or on the phone or making anything happen. I was not contributing much more than my appreciation of tree, my love of green, my commitment to trunk and bark, my celebration of branch, my insane delight over the gentle white May blossoms that were beginning to flower everywhere. Sometimes you can only know 1,000 beautiful things when you deeply know the place you're in. Sometimes you can only know 1,000 beautiful things when you love the things as no one has thought to love them. When you know the tree in front of you. When you know your own body, its history, its essential goodness, its connection to every other body. And what I wondered this morning, as we hold these threads, what I wondered this morning is this. When we do not know the story of a place, whether that place is our body or a tree or the land and the people around us, when we do not know the story of a place, are we somehow disconnected, alienated, cut off in some way from the source of life itself? This Monday is Indigenous Peoples Day, and over the past year and a half, my consciousness and awareness of the original inhabitants of this land, this place, has been growing. And I have been sitting with the question more and more frequently, what does it mean to live in this land of Minnesota, this land of 10,000 lakes surrounded by things that I scarcely know? The original inhabitants called this land Minnesota Mokoche. Which means the land where the water reflects the sky or the heavens. It can also be pronounced Minishota, the land of cloudy waters or misty waters, this area that was the homeland to the Dakota prior to settlers arriving and taking land, prior to treaties being made and broken and more land lost. This place, this land, has a history. Just give me a little more time to know and love the things around me. To really understand this land we are on, we have to go back in some ways to the so-called Dakota War fought in 1862. And I want to do this little history journey because it loops to the present moment. Perhaps the Dakota War would be better called the settler war or the government war against the Dakota because as I understand the history Government agents in Minnesota were withholding food and supplies to the Dakota, part of a treaty agreement they were not honoring. And if the Dakota were getting food from these government agents, it was at hugely inflated prices. So as winter approached and the Dakota were hungry, some of them decided to fight back. Ultimately, after much bloodshed, the Dakota were defeated. And then, as many of you know this history, maybe you don't know this history, on December 26th in 1862, 38 Dakota were hung in Mankato, which was and remains the largest mass execution in the United States. 
In the months following, many Dakota left the region, fearing for their lives. Many were rounded up and brought to Fort Snelling, which essentially became a concentration camp, housing hundreds and hundreds of men and women and children. The conditions and treatment were horrible, including physical and sexual abuse, and many died there, and others were ultimately shipped up or down the river to reservations in exile from their homeland. I share this story with you this morning in some detail because it is not disconnected from the journey we are on as a faith community. In the summer and fall of last year, when we began these conversations about restoring the name of Mede Makaska, when that conversation sort of resurfaced in our community. Mede Makaska is the lake in our backyard. It's currently named after John Calhoun, a Unitarian, and a founder of All Souls Unitarian Church in Washington, D.C. Calhoun was a staunch supporter of slavery. He was an early author of the Indian Removal Act, and that act was used to resettle Native people west of the Mississippi. So as members of First Universalist built relationships with the Native community this past summer, it's intense sometimes being... <laughs> Being young, being old, hearing hard things, it can be a lot, it can be overwhelming. As members of this church began to build relationships with native community members, we began to understand the story of Mede Makaska, of White Earth Lake. The name, Mede Makaska, speaks to the spirit of the water, the spirit of the place. And I've learned in these conversations that Native people do not name landmarks or bodies of water after people. Like, how egocentric is that? <laughs> but instead, recognize the spirit or the essence of a place and name it accordingly. The name Mede Makaska invites us into a relationship with the spirit of the lake, with the shoreline, with the wildlife, with water itself, with that body of water as a living entity that communes with us if we listen and settle into that relationship. And this is where I think of Eve Ensler in her hospital room looking out the window and this mystical encounter that she had with this tree. She encountered the tree not as a resource, not as wood or table or lumber or something to be used, but simply as this living entity, a body in the world speaking to her body. And as an aside this morning, I will say to you the thread of this conversation of Eve Ensler's relationship with this tree, how we think about this body of water we call Madea Makaska, how we think about the earth itself, that thread of conversation is not in any way disconnected from the conversation happening right now about Donald Trump's remarks about the treatment of women. That reflects a broader cultural understanding in which women are still seen as objects, as resources, as something for men to be used by men for the pleasure and needs of men. The leap from seeing a tree just as resource to seeing a woman as something only to please a man to seeing the land as only being valuable for what we can extract from it. Those are not large leaps. 
when we are not fully present to our own lives, when we do not sense our body's connection to the larger whole or to the lives of others, or even to the places we're in, then a deep sense of alienation and fragmentation can arise. I remember this conversation I had with Kate Bean, one of the descendants of Cloud Man, a Dakota man who lived with his community on the edges of Madame Makaska in the early 1800s. In one of our community conversations this past year, Kate Bean talked about coming back to the Twin Cities after a long exile from this land and sitting on the banks of Madame Makaska, of White Earth Lake, and feeling a deep, and profound connection to the spirit of the lake, to her people, to home, despite years of exile. When I don't know, when we don't know this history, Lake Calhoun is just Lake Calhoun and the name seems just fine. But as I come to know this land, as we come to know this land and the stories of this place and the people of this place, there is an awakening I experience. There is a larger whole I begin to see. Knowing the story of place, loving it as we have not thought to love it before, connects us to the body of the world, to the bodies around us. Just as the tree called Eve Ensler to an awakening, looking back, I can see now that this body of water, Madame Makaska, has called a community of us together so that we might know the spirit of the lake, so we might work to restore the name of that lake, to understand that that body of water is connected to all bodies of water, is connected to Standing Rock, and to the fierce urgency of declaring enough. Water is life. No, no to the Dakota Access Pipeline. Indigenous Peoples Day invites us to be present, not somewhere else, but here as the poet Adrian Rich writes. We are called to be present to what is in front of us, to what is awaiting our attention and acknowledgement. As a colleague of mine says, life is lived and loved through presence, not absence, through connection, not alienation. If we don't know the place, or the trees, or the bodies of water around us, or the people around us, the transgender bodies, the male bodies, the female bodies, the black and brown bodies, or even the story of our own body, we are absent on some level, alienated from the greater whole of life. My colleague, Rebecca Parker, talks about this experience of driving into a flooded area with a friend, initially unaware that it was flooding, and so they're in their car driving into this flooded area, and then suddenly, they have this coming into the present moment experience instead of being like, hey, it looks like maybe it flooded around here recently. Um, wow, you know, that's funny. They have some sandbags and stuff over there. I wonder what that's about. I wonder what happened here. And all of a sudden, like, holy cow, it is flooding right now. We need to respond right now, at which point their whole beings came into the present moment. It was like a baptism, says Rebecca Parker because it was a conversion from distance to presence, from misperception to realization. It was a move from passive, misconstrued observation to a place of active, alert participation. So what I'm suggesting this morning is that knowing a particular place, a tree, a thing, helps us awaken to see the whole story, to expand our vision, that 
process can baptize us into a new world. I've said a lot this morning. And if you haven't followed all of it or if you're wondering, all right, what do I do with all of this? I have two things I'm asking of you today. Two things. Some, some way to embody this sermon. In recognition of Indigenous Peoples Day, here's what I want you to do. Google Indigenous Peoples Day so you understand the history. Google Madei Makaska. Google Fort Snelling Concentration Camp. Google Standing Rock or Dakota Access Pipeline. And in recognition of Indigenous Peoples Day, I invite you to join me and others tomorrow morning, 7.15 a.m., it's a little early, for a sunrise service on Thomas Beach on the south shore of Madei Makaska. 7.15 tomorrow morning, south shore, Madei Makaska. The second thing I want you to do is bring your appreciation and awareness to a particular tree, to a body of water, to a patch of land, to your body, to the bodies around you. Friends, as we seek to live into the whole story, remember that our faith is a this world faith, not some other world faith. Our faith calls us to be engaged right here. Our faith calls us to cultivate our metaphorical garden the little piece of the world we inhabit, to take responsibility to do what we can in that place with what we have and what we know, flaws and all. Our faith calls us to love things like they've never been loved before, to be present, to be here, to let our body be held in the complex and beautiful body of this world. May it be so. And amen.